If you're visiting today for the first time, I want to say a, a big and warm welcome. Uh, all of you should have a series of notes. Have you all got notes? Does anybody need some notes? Yes? No? Are we all good? Fantastic. Well, in this series, we've been addressing the challenges that confront Christians at work and at school with your neighbor, with your parents, with your son or your daughter. And we've been looking at reasons for our belief. And what we did in the first few sessions, we looked at the challenge, real truth doesn't exist, and truth doesn't exist. And we saw that actually truth does exist. And then second challenge was, well, okay, if truth exists, well, God does not exist, which is what some people will try to say. And then what we did in that session, we looked at three lines of evidence. We looked at the line of evidence from the beginning of the universe. How can something come from nothing? And then we looked at the complex design in the universe. And finally, in that session, we looked at the moral law, which all point to an intelligent, all-powerful, creating God. And then the third session we looked at, well, if there is a God, he's not necessarily the God of the Bible. And we looked there at the eight characteristics that we can derive from the book of nature about this creator. We looked at the design, the moral argument again, and how they matched the God of the Bible. And then in the next session, we looked at, it follows that if God exists, then miracles are possible. If the universe came from, into being from nothing, which is the greatest miracle, then miracles are possible. Miracles also can be used of, as acts of God to confirm the message of God. And remember, we looked at the king's seal to show that it was authentically come from the king. And then last week, we looked at a very important passage of Scripture, and we looked at evidence for, well, is the evidence there to show that the New Testament is reliable? And we looked at eyewitness accounts. We looked at two types. We looked at Christian eyewitness historical documents, which you can go back and see. And we looked at non-Christian documents that were written at the time that you can go back and examine yourself. So we looked at both friend and foe, and we saw that they agree that the New Testament is reliable. And then also we looked at, sorry, the last week was that Jesus of Nazareth, some people say, oh, well, he never claimed to be God. We looked at two things last week. We saw that Jesus of Nazareth claimed and proved to be the Messiah God as predicted by the Old Testament. And to refresh your memory, his claims came in the form of direct I am statements, which is a name for God. Direct I am statements, which indicate his deity. And then also we looked at his actions of forgiving sins. Only God can do that. Assuming the authority of God to issue new commands after Moses. And also accepting worship, because the Jews said, all right, remember, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Here's Jesus saying, yeah, it's okay to worship me. And he accepted it. Then he proved he was God. We looked at claiming one thing, but how do you prove it? Then we looked at the proof from fulfilling hundreds of messianic prophecies written hundreds of years in advance. Now, Jesus was the only person in history where those crosshairs match and fulfills all of these prophecies. We even briefly looked at the mathematical probabilities of eight of them, just eight out of 300 being fulfilled. And we saw how ridiculously infinitesimal that number was. And we also looked at how he lived a sinless life, and he predicted and accomplished his own resurrection from the dead. 
So these facts establish beyond reasonable doubt, which is the acceptable evidence in a court of law that would conclude that Jesus claimed and he proved to be the Son of God. Now, today, we're going to take the next challenge, which you're going to hear from your friends. And here it is. Jesus did not rise from the dead. That's what they're going to say to you. Now this, if true, will be a potential problem. Why? Well, because both the Old and the New Testaments record many miracles. And the four Gospels record the greatest miracle claim on this earth is that of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Follow the logic. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he is a false prophet. And we cannot trust him because he predicted his own resurrection. So if that didn't happen, that's false. And also the New Testament writers claim they saw the risen of Jesus. So if he didn't rise from the dead, we can't trust the New Testament either. So this is absolutely pivotal. We get this nailed. So, so the greatest miracle claim is a man rose from the dead. No one has ever claimed that somebody else rose from the dead days after being declared buried and dead. But Jesus predicted his death and resurrection several times. Here's the first one. Matthew 17, 22. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. Matthew 12, 40. As Jonah said, it was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. No, that's not a whale. So the Son of Man will be for three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, if he didn't come out of the tomb, he would be a proven liar. That's a fact. He could not be God and could not be our Savior. So this is non-negotiable. In fact, the Bible says, if Christ has not been raised, and you'll find this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that. We are then found to be false witnesses about God because we're telling things which would be wrong. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And this is worse. You are still in your sins. You can find that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, 15, and 17. Now, here's a question. What do we mean by resurrection? Definitions are always important. So resurrection means that someone who's died returns as the same person in the same body, only the resurrected body, which will be one that will never die again. A dying body has been changed into one that will never face death again. This is what we're talking about here. It's been changed supernaturally. But the Bible says when he comes back, we'll be like him and our bodies will be transformed. Now, there are five explanations I want to take a quick look at this. As how in the world this could possibly happen. And these are what we call objections that you're going to hear. And I want to equip you for that in case you get dealt this, you'll have heard about it before. Somebody's going to say, yeah, 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 okay, Jesus died. But oh, somebody died in Jesus' place. It really wasn't him. Because even the critics, the people that don't like us, the people who do not like Christianity agree that the tomb was found empty three days later. Nobody there. Everybody agrees that, even our critics. So one explanation that they come up with in their fanciful imaginations, well, somebody else 
kind of looked like him, died in his place. You're going to hear this. Somebody else died in his place. Islam, for example, maintains that Jesus did not die on the cross. And Muslims will tell you that Allah would not have allowed one of his prophets to die so awfully and shamefully. So Allah, they say, you can read it, caused somebody to look like Jesus, and that person was crucified by mistake. Some Muslims actually believe, that I've talked to, believe that Judas was the one who was crucified. Just so you know, if you don't hear it here, you have to do a lot of reading. So I'm condensing a lot of reading to give it to you. So why is this view wrong? Well, the first thing is there's no evidence for it. How could Jesus' mother and closest friends who were there not know the person on the cross wasn't him? I can tell my daughter's walk if I'm blindfolded and in a dark room, I can hear her gait. I'm so in tune with her. Your mothers, you can have five babies and one of them screams and that mother knows exactly who that baby is. <laughs> Most of us guys go, what? <laughs> but they can do that. They know that. Any other man, by the way, second thought on that one, any other man would be going, you got the wrong guy. I don't want to be crucified. He'd be yelling. Also, don't forget that the Roman guards who did this, you're going to consider the penalty that they would have to pay who made such a mistake, nailing the wrong guy to the cross. So think about this. Those who knew him best watched him die. Mother... Brothers, John, the ladies, they knew him best, and they had no doubt it was him. The men who buried him had no doubt it was him. Anyone who believes otherwise is denying eyewitness testimony from a large group of people, all of whom agree it was truly Jesus who died on that cross. Now, the second explanation that some people try and give to this, well, actually, Jesus only fainted on the cross. They're going to try and tell you this. This view says that Jesus passed out on the cross and that everyone, including trained soldiers and his enemies, who were the Jews standing there making sure he was killed, thought he was dead. Now, after he was buried in the tomb, they think and fancifully imagine he somehow revived, got out, found his disciples who were quivering and shaking in some room, who mistakenly believed he'd resurrected. Now, why is that scenario flat out wrong. Well, let's think about this in two ways. What happened to Jesus, one, before he was nailed to the cross? We need to consider this. In typical Roman fashion, before Jesus went to the cross, he was beaten. Apart from his beard being pulled out, forget that. That hurts enough. But he'd be whipped. Now, yeah, he'd be whipped most likely, so badly, he'd be exposing his spine and some of the internal organs. Because around here, it's pretty tender, right? Somebody pokes you there, you're going to know about that. And they will be starting to feel the strain of the blood loss through cut capillaries, veins. And many never even made it to the cross. Guys, just, you know, you can read this in history. The Romans were good at doing this. They'd done hundreds of thousands of crucifixions. They knew how to kill people. This is history. You have done classics. You'd know about this. So many died even from the whipping. So let's just put that to one side a moment. But he's been beaten on all night, 
and his body's so damaged he can't carry the 40 kilogram cross member. By the way, Jesus never hauled the, the other part around. It's just a cross member. That's just Hollywood toot. It was a part that went this way. And that was about 40 kgs. We know that from history. About 40. He was so weakened he couldn't carry that. So he ended up getting Simon the Cyrene, remember, or Libya today. He was the guy that ended up carrying that part. So it was before the cross. So he was really, really weak. And what happened on the cross? Well, the Romans used procedures that were designed to ensure the condemned person would die. That was their job. They're professional killers. If they didn't die soon enough, what they'd do? Hey, it's smoko time. They'd come along and they'd whack and they'd break their legs so that they'd fall and they'd literally collapse and asphyxiate. Excuse me. The, 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 yeah, they would not be able to breathe. So... If things were dragging on, they'd break their legs. But no longer able to raise their body to breathe, death would follow very quickly. Hard to be alive when you can't breathe. Now, so what can we do to inject some objectivity into this? Let's go to the Mayo Clinic. By the way, in my view, the Mayo Clinic is one of the sources of truth which is worth considering. It's a very well-known medical clinic in the United States of America. Entirely secular, but this is what they say, one of the guys there. One of the chief cardiovascular pathologists, he says, anyone who believes that Jesus didn't die on cross is at odds with modern medical knowledge. William D. Edwards, he studied the death of Jesus and that was his conclusion. Experienced soldiers familiar with crucifixions were so certain of Jesus' death that they didn't even bother to break his leg, they just jabbed a spear into him. Pilate, on the other hand, who was surprised to hear that Jesus had already died, asked the Romans to check to be certain he was dead. And he refused to release the body of Jesus for burial until he'd been, that had been satisfied. Now to grasp how absolutely sure people were that Jesus was dead, consider this, which we have no concept of in our culture. That in preparing a body for death and burial, burial particularly, the Jews typically covered a body and wrapped them up in 45 kilograms of spices, and then they wrapped it. Do you know how much 45 kilograms is? You go walk around a couple of sacks of concrete, and that's how heavy it is. And then they would wrap them around in the, in the linen strips, and then they would place it inside a sealed tomb. You'd say that will be somewhat suffocating, right? It will be somewhat restricting as well. So, quick sidebar here. What happens if Jesus somehow ridiculously, forget Mayo Clinic, forget the Romans, forget all of these people, what if he had survived? You need to ask yourself, suppose for a minute that was true. Just suppose. Try answering these type of questions. How did he manage to unwrap himself and get out of those grave cloths? One. Two. How did he move the enormous gravestone, huge stone that was in front of him? Three. What about the guards that were stationed right outside there? How did he elude those guys? What's the answer? How did he do that? Uh, four. How did he find his disciples? Uh, five. How could he convince the disciples he'd risen from the dead? He'd be barely alive, and his body would have been a bloody mess. How would a man in such a condition inspire his disciples to give their lives under the most atrocious conditions? 
Why did the disciples die, all of them suffering dreadful death, still claiming Jesus rose from the dead? One hateful critic who wrote a shocking book called The Life of, the Life of Jesus for the People said this, and this is a hard bum guy, academic. He says this, this is his thought. How could a man who had escaped half dead out of the tomb, who was weak and ill, wanting medical treatment, who required bandaging, strengthening, and indulgence, and who is still at last yielded to his sufferings, have given the disciples the impression he was a conqueror over death and the grave? That guy's not our friend, but that's what he said. In other words, it's incredulous. What about some other accounts? Forget the Bible. Let's just, there's many of these. I've just chosen a couple. Uh, here's, some, here's some other non-historical Christian accounts. Roman historian Phallus wrote about the darkness, which is really weird, that fell upon the land during his crucifixion. That's pretty eerie. What the heck's going on here? Why is it dark at 3 o'clock? Another historian, which I'll put up here, Phlegian wrote, Jesus arose after, the death, after death and exhibited the marks of his punishment and showed his hands and been pierced by nails. They wrote matter-of-factly about Christ's death. No embellishment, just bare bones. They were not believers. They had no reason to accept or report something they did not believe was true. No reason at all. They're not believers. Solid fact based on eyewitness testimony of friend and foe, proven by the standards of today's top-notch medical Evidence, Mayo Clinic. Number three. Somebody said, oh, okay, 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 okay. He didn't, he didn't raise, and by the way, it was just a mass hallucination. Everybody just thought this happened. Hallucinations. This is the third objection. But here's the deal. What we know from science is that hallucinations are normally caused by drugs, alcohol, lack of food, or lack of sleep. And normally only last for a very, very short time. And by the way, this is the important point. They happen to one person. Not hundreds. Not hundreds. And they are personal. The disciples did not have a mass hallucination because of this. One, they saw Jesus for long stretches of time on at least 12 separate occasions over a 40-day period. They saw the crucifixion scars, touched him, talked to him, listened to him, ate with him for more than a month. And their conviction was he was truly risen from the dead. It did not fade over time, but stayed with them for the rest of their lives. And almost all of them, again, I reiterate, died as martyrs, still proclaiming Christ, the risen Lord. Number four. You're going to hear this one. Fourth objection. Well, somebody stole the body. Or moved it. Because it's not there. Nobody's dis nobody disputes that. What's wrong with this view? Well, consider the obstacles anyone wanting to move Jesus' body would have had to overcome. Think about this if it was you. Number one, Pilate, top dog, had ordered the tomb sealed and guarded. That's a small problem. If the guards had failed in their duty, do you know what the penalty was? Execution. So that's just up the, up the stakes. Steve Hansen last night, if they failed, be, it wouldn't be executions. They'd probably lose some salary and get a severe spanking. But there, you failed at this, you're dead. Serious stakes. Three, 
The seal over the stone covered the tomb's entrance. The penalty for breaking a Roman seal was death by crucifixion. You can read about that. That's a serious penalty over your neck. Romans took grave robbing very, very seriously. Again, you can read about this. The massive stone in front of the tomb weighed between, archaeologists estimate, between one and two tons. Matthew, sorry, Mark 16.4 records the stone was very big, very large. Four, sorry, excuse me, five. The Jewish leaders, those guys who were so incensed that he claimed to be God, were glad Jesus was died and buried, and they lacked a motive to move their body. And number six, the disciples. Those guys were a bunch of horses hiding with lights out in a closed room with a locked door. Doesn't sound like the brave type to me. Number five, the resurrection was a conspiracy plot. Why is this view wrong? Theory number five. Well, what this really says is this. Well, Jesus came up with an elaborate scheme to fulfill all of those 300 messianic prophecies, including his death by crucifixion. The co-conspirators would get his body after it was taken down, then nurse Jesus back to life and health. And after recovering, Jesus would claim to be resurrected. Some people are going to try and shovel that towards you. Why is this view wrong? Well, consider this. How could anybody arrange to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies? Could you arrange what tribe or race you were born from? Could you arrange the city and the country you were born in beforehand? Could you arrange the miracles? Could you find enough people who were willing to pretend they had leprosy since they were born? or blind since birth, or deaf since birth, and then just wait until you came along and then do those miracles? It's entirely that idea, the result of somebody's imaginative, wishful thinking. So what we've just quickly shown so far is one, it really was Jesus on the cross. Two, Jesus really died on the cross. You're not going to find too many critics saying that, or disputing there. And three, Jesus' body, dead body was put in the sealed tomb. That is reasonable based on the evidence. Now we're going to take a short look at some of the facts that support the historical, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ's body. Let's take a look at that. Facts that support it. Number one is the tomb was empty. Even very skeptical people admit the evidence shows the tomb of Jesus was found empty within a few days of his death. Romans and Jews, both, who are not friends, declare it was empty. Jesus' followers, both men and women, said the same thing. The Jewish leaders agreed that the body was gone. If it hadn't been gone, think about that. Why wouldn't the Jews and the Romans, the enemy, just produce the body? End of story. Game, set, match. It's over. It wasn't there, that's why. And it was never found elsewhere. The only issue was how people explained this fact. And that's what the Jews... Was, here's what the Jews were spreading. Look at this, Matthew 28. While the women were on the way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met and the elders and, and, elders and devised a plan, devised a plan... They gave the soldiers a large sum of filthy lucre, telling him, you are to say. His disciples came during the night and stole him away whilst he was asleep. If this report gets to the governor, 
We will satisfy him and keep him, uh, keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated to this very day. So, the Jewish leaders said that the disciples stole a body. The disciples said Jesus was resurrected. Whose explanation is correct here? Here's some quick questions to help you decide and help your friends decide this. Why, just days after the crucifixion, would the disciples start boldly proclaiming this preposterous story that they did not believe? You're going to answer that question. Why would they do that? These men had just been previously hiding, terrified, afraid for their lives. Why would they suddenly put their lives now in the line of fire and for sure death, preaching this in the middle of Jerusalem, where it could have easily been disproven? Why would they do that? And by the way, this is a really radical one. If you know anything about the Jews, Jews are very stubborn. How can you explain that a large number of Jewish priests became Christians like that? Like that in the middle of their equivalent of Mecca. Like that. And believe that Jesus rose from the dead within a short time after he was crucified. Look at this next verse. Acts 6, 7. So the word of God spread quickly. Excuse me. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem, not in some God-forsaken place, but in Jerusalem, increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is what? What they were effectively doing, if you were Jew, is committing apostasy. And you know how, how focused they were on keeping the law. The best explanation for this is that Jesus had been raised. And the disciples were telling the truth. Number two, there's multiple eyewitnesses. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John testify that the men and women personally saw the risen body of Jesus. Twelve separate occasions, 500 people over 40 days, indoors and outdoors, did miracles. He was doing them. You could see him. You could see the nail scars in his hands and feet and the mark where the Roman spear had pierced aside. Otherwise, there was no evidence that his body being crucified, his back was fine. Acts 1.3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine the level of concentration and focus now? It's like, give me all you got. Three. Third fact that supports Jesus. Early converts were Jews in Jerusalem. Luke reported that within weeks of the crucifixion, thousands of Jews in Jerusalem converted to their belief in Jesus. That They believed he was a son of God because he was resurrected. The Bible says in Acts 4.4, soon there were about 5,000 Jewish Christian men, including many priests in the city. That's 6-7. Why did that happen so quickly? Why in Jerusalem, the heart of Judaism? Think about what it would have taken for a Jew to have become a follower of Jesus. They are not easy to persuade. 
that they have to be utterly convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that he was God, and that he'd risen from the dead. Three things would have to be true there. So after refusing to believe when Jesus was around for 30-odd years, why would they suddenly change their mind like that? Why would so many be now convinced that Jesus had been raised unless they were certain it was true? Why would they be willing to walk away from thousands of years of their history and religion and face being cut off completely from their family and being tried for blasphemy unless something most unusual, most spectacular happened? Perhaps like somebody being raised from the dead. Number four. The disciples died for their belief in the resurrection. A short list of disciples who were martyred for preaching that Jesus was the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. Peter, Andrew, and Simon were all crucified. Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, of all places, and was killed by the sword. Mark was dragged to death by horses through the streets of Alexandria. That's John Mark. Luke was hung. James the Greater was beheaded, and James the Just was thrown down from a pinnacle of the temple after refusing to deny Jesus Christ. Thaddeus, sometimes known as Jude, was shot with arrows. Thomas was run through by a spear in India. And you can actually see his, um, like the church that he originally built when he went over the hill. It's still there in India, the ruins of it. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia and was whipped to death in Armenia, flayed to death to be exact. If you'd like some more detail on those deaths, strange thing to ask for, but if you're interested for facts, on your communication card, that little card there, put on there, Deaths of the Apostles, and I'll send you a link to the article behind that. Friends, people will not die for something they know to be a lie. If they had any doubt that Jesus was raised, surely one or more of them would have changed their story and saved their own life. Look at this one. <clears throat> the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ certainly has convinced many people who were former atheists hard-out atheists, but who have taken the time to investigate. My concern is many of your friends who have a, a short poke here and there at Christianity have not taken the time, because if you follow where the evidence leads, you'll be convinced, just like this guy. So Lionel Lookhow, you can look him up in the Guinness Book of Records, because he's had the most successive acquittals for murder trials in the world. 245. And this is what this man said about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world, and I am still in active practice. I've been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, without reservation, that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves... Absolutely no room for doubt. 
Many who initially refused to accept the resurrection have been convinced, become convinced because of historical and archaeological proof and have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So what have we learned as we wrap this up? <clears throat> Number one, we've learned that Jesus was crucified and died on a Roman cross. Two, his body was embalmed in linen and a bunch of spices. Three, he was buried in a tomb and was sealed and it was guarded. Four, days later, the tomb was found empty. Five, the disciples saw the living Jesus many different times in many different locations. Next, their lives were completely, permanently changed by the conviction that he rose from the dead. No question. Seven, they preached this in Jerusalem, right under the nose and the heart of Judaism. Many Jews became believers. We've seen that. Not one of the disciples ever recanted his belief that Jesus was raised, and most of them died as martyrs. So in the light of just that evidence I've just walked through briefly there, what happened, is a question, in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago that so changed the disciples that they were willing to die for their belief in the resurrection? The most reasonable answer I want to suggest to you is that they actually saw the risen Lord. They did not have a mass hallucination, no such thing. They weren't part of some grand plot, inconceivable, and they saw the living Jesus Christ following his death on the cross. This isn't in your outline, but it's part of the broader argument that we're having, and with this I'll finish. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all maintain that God exists, that he created everything. They agree that God is the beginner, the designer, and the moral lawmaker. All three of these great religions. Now it's the time to ask which one of these matches the facts that we've considered about the New Testament documents based on Jesus Christ. Based on the evidence for the reliability of the New Testament, based on the evidence for the claims of Jesus to be God and the proof that Jesus is God and that the evidence for the resurrection, we must rule out Judaism and Islam. Neither Judaism or Islam affirms Jesus Christ as God. And remember, the law of non-contradiction says that two contradictory truth claims cannot be true at the same time and in the same sense. So we're seeing that the evidence shows that Jesus both claimed and proved to be God, therefore it cannot be true that he's not God. Also, the evidence shows that he was raised from the dead, so it cannot be true that he was not raised from the dead. So someone's right here and someone's wrong. And based on the evidence alone, we must conclude, just on the evidence, that Judaism and Islam are incorrect in what they maintain about the New Testament, the nature, the death, the resurrection, and of Jesus Christ. Because by denying Christ's death, his death and resurrection, many sincere Jews and Muslims have turned their backs on God and in his gracious provision of salvation through the one and only Jesus Christ. Because salvation comes through no one else. Our responsibility is to pray for those who do not know Jesus, that he is truly God. Maybe some of your family members, maybe some of your neighbors, maybe some of your workmates. And we need to share with them the evidence that he is God. And our job is to make the good news known. Not only did Jesus rise from the dead, for the sins of the whole world, but he also proved he's God by rising from the dead. Now, some people you know, 
still insists that other religions have the truth. They do not believe that God has revealed himself to us only through Jesus in the Bible. How should we answer them? And that's what I'm going to consider next time we talk. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that our faith is based on good historical fact. Because, Lord, you never make mistakes. It's your word, God's word. And because, God, you never make mistakes, what you record is true. Thank you, Lord, that you have so graciously allowed other documents to confirm and for us to know that we have a certain hope in you. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. And the embarrassing wealth of evidence that we have that you came to change our lives for eternity.